podcast your source for stateside views on everton football club hosted by alex johnson and james boyman hello there everybody welcome back to the american toffee podcast it is james here joined as always by alex it is i and ryan hello Come on, Ryan. Give it a little more pizzazz. I can't talk that. That was very enthusiastic. Uh, That was the most dramatic I've ever been. And then Ryan's like, hello. (laughs) Well, either way, I think we're all happy today because once again, three points. That's nine out of nine. What the heck is going on? Three points on the board. Everton have won their first league, first three league games of the new season for the first time since 1993, which is the year before I was born. Also, They've won their opening five games of a season for the first time in 82 years since 1938, which coincidentally is the year before Ryan was born. Wait, what? What time? 1938. (laughs) It's an old joke. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. No, that's an act. But it is a clearly a turning of the tides as we are top of the league. And let's just kick things off with. Initial match reactions. Uh, Alex, go first. I'm excited that we have three wins out of three in the league. Um, I'm even more excited that we're five out of five domestically. It's really nice to see the Toffees talked about in such a positive manner, specifically on like, you know, NBCSN, which is where the the match was presented on uh, here in the States. And I'm excited to see us continue. Ryan, over to you. I actually had a buddy text me saying, hey, when did Hamas get on Everton? You know, and I was like, (laughs) yeah, that's right, baby. We're, you're starting, we're starting to creep into everyone now. It was a sloppy game. We definitely created the more dangerous chances. I, I, again, quality shown through. There was a little more volume too. I, I know everyone was a little upset when it seemed like they had the ball a lot, but they weren't overly dangerous. So sloppy sometimes, you know, the weather, whatnot, you know, that's what it takes to win sometime in England. And um, yeah, man, it was a deserved three points. I agree. And, and we'll get into some of the, the penalty controversy, controversy, the handball controversy in a little bit. But I do think, especially in that second half where it was a bit of a stalemate in midfield, a lot of, a lot of hard battles, not a lot of time in the ball. And I just think that years of experience watching Everton is what made that uncomfortable for most of the fans watching the match. Because you're right, Ryan, Palace never really threatened. They never looked particularly dangerous. In fact, their only shot on target was, of course, the header that they scored on in the first half. But because we weren't, you know, really controlling the game the way we may have in other matches this season, you just start to have those thoughts creep in the back of your head. Okay, well, when's the inevitable? When does this high exciting ride that we've been on end and um, unfortunately it didn't end today we escaped with all three points and toffees are top of the table so i i think i think the reason why maybe we felt that way is the possession you know we had so much of it early and then in the second half they, they had more so yeah it's a natural thought but just because you don't have the ball necessarily does not mean you're not in control of the game and and look this is a little bit I think this is a better Palace team than we've seen in the past. They have a few more weapons. They have some guys that are a little more dangerous. So there is a reason to be somewhat concerned at times. 
But hey, this is a different Everton team too. And I, I'll tell you what's going to be really interesting when we have a little more flexibility to bring on some more defensive-minded players that are good athletes off the bench too. I still feel like the bench is a little limited. We have some good attacking players too. I, I think that would be one of those things that could kind of lock things down a little bit better in my personal opinion. But look, there is no Everton curse. Okay, that stuff is nonsense. It doesn't matter. All right. None of these guys were around when all these ideas and thoughts came. They're coming from somewhere else. And we have Carlo Ancelotti as a manager. All right. Have a little faith, folks. All right. Nine out of nine. Bang. Points. Top of the table. Is that optimistic enough for everyone? That's beautiful, Ryan. And I just want to give a, a, a quick shout out to the guys on the Discord who did predict the 2-1 scoreline correctly. We've got Connor DW. We've got Cryptus. We've got K-Bui, <clears throat> Evan, a.k.a. Kev. <clears throat> And of course, uh, Ryan also got the score right. Yes, I did. Very proud of himself. You can hear him in the background. I'm patting myself on the back. Do you hear that? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. But, but let's take it back to, obviously, hour before kickoff. Lineup comes out. No surprises. No changes from Carlo Ancelotti. We see Alex will be making the bench. And we kind of just are, I think everyone's perfectly happy with that. Again, Anthony Gordon may be a bit unlucky not to make the match day squad, but all in all, you'd find it hard to argue against any of the selections Carlo made today, obviously, with the run of form we've been on. Who would you swap him out for? That's that's It's hard, but who would you do it? I mean, no one, right? Like, no one, because you had Iwobi and Bernard on the bench. Um, They played well this week. I mean, mean, they all did, but those guys... But so did they, right? Like, but so did they. Yeah, right. That's my point. Yeah, and, and then you had Sigurdsson and Davies at central midfield, so it's kind of hard to compromise, I guess, the attacking positions on the bench. But it, it sucks, though. But but this is what we want, right? This is this is a conversation we want to have. When was the last time we had to argue about someone even being on the bench for Everton? Like, not often. I can't remember the last time we had to argue about that. So to have the competition in the squad and have some of these players really showing their value, especially in the cup matches over the last couple weeks, then then I think that's only a positive for us. Yeah, I, I know there was some talk ahead of time to maybe pl- put a more attacking player in with Andre, but as it turns out, Palace is very aggressive, um, you know, as the match started. And and I, I thought Andre did a very good job. I mean, his big bread and butter is his possession. And I thought at times uh, he did really well, even though they, they were definitely letting us play and letting Palace play and be aggressive and, you know, be physical. Uh, Andre did very well, I think. I know I, I rip him a lot, but um, and he was aggressive in the tackle, too. You know, I. It, he it's is very funny. It seemed like he was more valuable in a more physical match. Yeah, and he he brings that additional bit of physicality. And and I know one of the things we talked about, like back in our squad review, was how much Andre Gomez fouls. Like he does foul a lot, and he did foul quite a few times today. But sometimes you need that, and and he did look up to the task of of a physical battle in midfield in a way that someone like Gilfie Sigurdsson or Tom Davies definitely is not. And again, he retains possession well. Uh, that midfield battle throughout the entire match with with R three against the McCarths of Crystal Palace uh, was was really interesting to watch because it was very aggressive. It was quick. It was not a lot of time on the ball for anyone, and I think uh, it, it was really tough for us to play through the middle of the park. But we found some success on either flank throughout the match, and I think you know circling back to the to the early stages of the match, we were fortunate to get on get on the scoreboard early with a really really nice bit of build up play leading to Dominic Calvert-Lewin scoring his fifth goal of the campaign. That was super exciting to watch. The the thing that impressed me the most um was the pass by James, which I know that's that seems like the easy answer, but if you see as he's re- as he's receiving the ball, 
I think he passes. I think that pass breaks through like three defenders, maybe with Seamus Coleman in essentially on goal, who does a really good job of controlling the ball as well. And then if you watch the replay closely, Dominic Calvert-Lewin actually is running for a goal, but takes a step back and watches how he's positioned between the defensive line as the ball is coming to Coleman and he's driving forward. Just the awareness by all the players, the execution on Coleman's end to keep control of it. And then the awareness on Dominic Calvert-Lewin and his movement, which I think we've been seeing a lot of, if you pay really close attention to, um, is getting impressive now that he's focusing on staying in the box. He gets in dangerous positions. Uh, and, and in many cases, I know we said it on previous pods, that is every bit as important, if not more important, than being a clinical finisher. I mean, he missed some chances today too, but but he scored the one that mattered. His hold-up play, his physicality was great. I'll tell you what, in a more physical game like today with bad conditions, boy, Seamus really shined too. I mean, he may not have that top gear anymore, but he was physical today. When he got a step on someone... He could fend them off really well. Um, that was a lovely cross. He had his head up and everything. It was a wonderful piece of combination play. You know, I mean, that was that was one to jump out of your seat and get excited about for sure. And I did just that when we scored. Like that was again. You see the the way that we're able to now switch the ball in the final third and just put defenses on the back foot is so so different from from Everton of of years gone by. You have Andre Gomez. You've got. Ducore even willing to play some long balls. Michael Keane had a couple nice long balls coming out of the back early. I think our just our accuracy with our long balls in general is is vastly improved, and that's what you see. We start on the left hand flank, we bring it over to the right hand side. Ducore gets it. Little pass to uh, or Coleman, I guess, has it to Ducore to James, who one touches it through Sheamus reading the situation perfectly, making the run, and and it's a great goal, no question about it. Probably our most coherent piece of attacking play the entire day, but. Early on, it's good to get that, and then you have the momentum to take you through the rest of the 90. I think tactically the setup is we did we did attack a couple times down the right side, but for the most part, I, I think we knew that they'd come at us with you know, Zaha on that side, obviously, and a few others, and I thought Sheamus did well defensively, and DeCorey obviously shading over there to help as well. Most of our attack was rotating back out to the left, but you've got to keep them on their toes. I mean, I remember the one time where Michael Keane ran forward with it and just played an unbelievable, like almost at full speed, left-footed chip over to Sheamus, who took it very well. I mean, that was was another example where you still got to be dangerous on both sides. You cannot just attack singularly on one side unless you are just unbelievable at it, and they are very weak. And we did show... We attacked almost all down the left side. Alex, what was the number on that one, attacking on the left? 51% of our attack was on the left-hand side. And you could see that, right? I mean, rotating the ball back from the right. I mean, I think that's what we talked before the pod, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that was the interesting thing. So we talked about it in the last league match, specifically about Ducore, right? And we had a discussion about how he didn't have very many passes in that midfield three. He wasn't very involved in our last match out in the Premier League. But today, he actually had the most passes out of the uh, three midfielders with 56. And the interesting thing is, James Rodriguez had 47, and then Seamus Coleman had 40. So it kind of illustrates the the triangle that we had going on on the right-hand side with Seamus, Rodriguez, and Ducore. But then, you also look at the fact that James Rodriguez had, had four long balls, and 51% of our attack came from the left-hand side, Richarlison and Lucas Dean. So that kind of illustrates the flow of the game, right? We had the ball on the right-hand side, kind of further back between Seamus, Ducore, James Rodriguez, and we're constantly switching play to the left-hand side and unlocking defenses. And that's good, too, because that's going straight to Richarlison and Lucas Dean, which last season, 
no question about it, best two players. And so, um, obviously, before we could talk about their, well, first of all, let's talk about their corner kick goal, too, because it's good service. It's on the back post. Um, I think I, I mentioned that there's probably a little bit of blame for Jordan Pickford. I mean, it's in tight. Maybe if his anticipation was a little better and his reactions were better, maybe he gets a hand on and he might not keep it out anyway. That was pretty disappointing. But look, over time, you give up a lot of set pieces and foul a lot. We probably did a little too much of that today. It is going to happen. I mean, this isn't like suddenly Marco Silva where you feel like it happened every match. That is going to happen. I mean, just the sheer numbers themselves. I mean, you got to accept that. I love the way that we bounced bounced back from it, I think. But you know what I mean? I, I don't really fault Pickford. He, he deserves a little blame. Maybe he could have made a, a better save and a better attempt. But, I mean, ultimately, we lost our guys, should have done better at it. But, I, you know, I can't – I don't think this is another one where Pickford was out of his mind on. No, I agree. I think I think putting all the blame on Pickford is is very harsh. I saw some some shouts on Twitter. Essentially, is that one he could save? Yeah, he definitely could save it. Is it one he should save from point blank range on the back post? I mean, it's not it's not easy to react that quickly, and it is well hit. And I think more of the blame lies on the markers who lost their man than it does on on the keeper for not keeping it out of the back of the net. But I agree, Ryan. The way that we rebounded, we did again. That that has been, I think the most refreshing thing in a in a season that has brought so many refreshing things is the our ability to fight back and to not drop our heads when we concede and we did just that and it was uh again it, it wasn't a dominant performance in any in any sense of the the word but palace certainly are a much improved side this season they were near the top of the table alongside us and then we kind of had this period of bizarre handball var reviews that I guess, took a little bit of the momentum away from both sides. But eventually, we have a penalty awarded after a Luka Dean header deflects off of the arm of Joel Ward. Reviewed, Kevin Friend goes to the monitor after Anthony Taylor was unable to determine upon his review. He recommends a VAR review, decides it's a handball. You start to get the pretty much every pundit, I think, across all broadcasts from what I could tell, say that that's a cheap, cheap handball, a cheap penalty to give away. And in some ways I agree because I don't think, you know, it, it was egregious, but his hand is away from his body. It clearly hits his hand and Richarlison is right there waiting for the, the head ball from Dean if he doesn't make contact. So I think he left Kevin Friend with no real choice. Fair. And so essentially it feels, uh, I don't agree with the call, but I will be the first to sit here and tell you it feels really, really good as an Everton fan to get the call. Uh, I wasn't expecting it, and we got it. Now, to be fair, though, the rules changed this year, right? And and to my understanding, unintentional or being intentional with with a handball is not necessarily important anymore. Ryan, you're a little bit more familiar. Can you give us a rundown on, on the, the rule change for the handball and how you felt about it? Yeah, I mean, I think the language as it appears now, and I'm reading from the, you know, under the FA, you know, the laws of the game and FA rules, it's an offense if a player, and then it goes through a couple of different things, the things we all know, deliberate, um, you know, scores directly. Um, it also doesn't matter if it hits a teammate either. So it's touches the ball with their hand arm when the hand arm has made their body unnaturally bigger. Uh, the hand arm is above beyond the shoulder level. That's that's irrelevant. So so I think the one they point to is the hand arm has made their body unnaturally bigger. All right. So what does that mean? To me. 
So I, I'm a firm believer in trying to create rules that are objective and more black or white. I recognize that deso- that kind of goes against some places the intent of the game. And it's not that I want to spoil the intent of the game, but the game is really fast now. And there it's hard to officiate, even with VAR. So to me, what that means is, even if your arms are to your side, I think that's the minimum requirement. If your forearms are out, yeah, your elbow's at your hips, but if your arms are away from your body, I know now I'm making a T-Rex, if you can picture <laughs> me on here, like, um, if it hits your arm and it's away from the body in, in any capacity, that is making your body unnaturally bigger. Now, is that ridiculous? Does that mean you should have your arms behind your back? Maybe. So, look, the first one, my initial reaction was I thought it was a handball and I thought it was a penalty because I felt like even though his arms, his upper arms are against his body, his forearm was away from his body slightly and it hit his hand. That's what I saw. Maybe I'm wrong. Is that overly penal? Yeah, maybe. What can the defender do about that? Literally, the only thing they could do is put their arms behind their back. But, I, I mean... So I, I think the one that was called was obvious, though. I mean, his arm was clearly away from his body. He was definitely making his body unnaturally bigger. Now, I could see you coming back, and it does say in, later in the rules that the proximity of the player matters. So if it was truly so close to him, there's nothing he could have done about it, fine. But in that case, I don't think that was the case either. So you got to be a little bit responsible if your arms are out from your body. Now, I think the second one that Dom hit... He did a lot of good things when the ball came out to him. And I think it hit his body too. And that's a consideration that probably helped. Did it hit his forearm that was slightly extended from his body? I think it probably did. So I'll say this at a minimum, at least at a minimum, if you want to be super draconian about it and say they all should have been handballs based on my logic, at least the first handball that Richarlison struck and then the Dom handball, potentially, those two are pretty even, I think. There were similar situations where both players made a decent attempt to keep their, their arms in on their body, right? So I, I think they almost wash itself out. What's most important is, was it just, did the right result happen? I think those two are debatable, but I, I don't think the one that we awarded, I, I think it's correct. I think I think it's simply correct. I mean, by the letter of the law, his arm was extended. Again, don't want to beat it in the ground, but I I, th- I think that one was at least different than the other two. I don't know what you guys think. I agree. No, I think the first and the third are, are agreed quite similar. I, I do think it makes it really difficult for defenders because, like you said, Ryan, they basically have to either cut their arms off before the match or play with them locked behind their back at all times. And, of course, that hinders your mobility. Uh, and you see yes. players cutting your do- arms off would hinder your mobility. Is that what the suggestion is? Or just tying them behind your back when your anytime you, you're, you're taking on a player. <laughs> if in is that harsh on defenders? Is does that make it more difficult? Probably. So maybe the rule needs to be re- reevaluated. That they should constantly look at things and, and figure out what's working and what's not. But the way that it currently exists, I think it's it's reasonable to get that call. And frankly. If I'm being honest, I really don't care if it was just because we have been unjustly ripped off, screwed out of a number of potential penalties over the last years. And it's just nice to finally win one that could have gone either way, because in situations where it could have gone either way so many times in the past, it's gone against us. Can I just suggest that I I now have an image of my head of the black Knight battle in the beginning of yes. Monty Python and search for the Holy grail. Like literally <laughs> I've got the guy with his arms cut off. Merely a flesh wound. It's, a it's flesh just wound. a flesh wound. <laughs> yes. You've that got is no arms. Yes, I do. Need to do. I mean, that's what we need to do. Yes. Um, without all the armor. I don't know, Alex, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I, I 
I still at least like the idea that it's attempting to be black. I don't like to give too much credit to the people creating the laws in the game, but it does seem a little more black or white to me by the letter of the law, at least what I'm reading. It does. I don't know that I agree with the letter of the law, right? Like kind of how James is saying. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think intention is a big part of it. I think with the call, the call that gave Richarlison the penalty, I, I, I mean... He was very, like, Ward was very, very close to Lucas Dean. But I think another, honestly, I think another bullet point that applies in in that instance is creates a goal-scoring opportunity. If I'm not mistaken, Richarlison was running, like, 10 yards, from 10 yards away towards Lucas Dean, and the header was going directly in his path, which was right at the near post of goal. And so, to be honest, my first thought also is, well, you can argue that Ward didn't really have much of a choice based on how close he was. Um, how quick, you know, Lucas Dean headed the ball down. But at the same time, though, if that ball makes it forward, no matter what, Richarlison legitimately has a, a shot from X amount of yards out with his left foot in the near post. So I, I think that could also play into it. But I'm just happy that 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 the referees and VAR are abiding by what the laws say. I, I just don't want ambiguity. I want to understand what's happening and I want to know why. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to have the dialogue? I mean, I think it would be educational as well, too. But God forbid we create accountability. <laughs> yeah, the refs, the refs are above the above the law. They enforce the law, but they're also again. I I've, I said this in a tweet earlier this week. There just needs to be more transparency and accountability. If you had a weekly roundtable with a few referees and a host, and they could just discuss their some interpretations of calls, I think that would be a fascinating, and B would go a long way to uh, maybe diminishing some of the relentless negativity and abuse that gets flung at referees in this day and age. Yeah. Cause it's all guesswork at this point. Now I, I do think though, do we, we do all agree that probably the result was just, I mean, if anything, yes. uh, if anyone deserved more of a penalty overall, I mean, two to one, even by in themselves. I mean, and obviously we benefited from it. So like you said, James, heck with it. Let's move on. You know? Yeah, and if you look at the XG, I mean, we were clearly the better side, especially in creation. So two point from Info Gold, two point six eight for us versus point six eight for Palace. So it's clear that we created the better goal scoring opportunities. All in all, a well deserved win. But we go into halftime two one, and then come out for the second half, and it is a a true battle for the second forty five without question. It's legitimately just a grind, right? It's one of those results where it's raining heavy. Players are tired. This is something I did want to mention. It's pretty clear, right? Ryan, I think you tweeted about how Hamas looked toward the end of the match. All of these players are not 100% match fit, too. So so that's fair to say. But when it gets to become a grind, as you said, Ryan, in the English game, ideally your quality shines through. And this is the grind in the second half that we've not been able to come through in any consistent terms whatsoever over the last couple of years. Now we're seeing... That even if we don't play well, even if we're grinding and, and we're battling for a lot of 50-50 balls, everything's not coming off perfectly. We've still got enough quality to move the ball around, make a difference, and most importantly, secure a 2-1 win. Because I think that, you know, if that Richarl- if that penalty's not scored by Richarlison for whatever reason, we don't get the handball or whatever else, I'm not saying that, you know, we wouldn't have scored a second goal, but I think it, it becomes a little worrying that way. And so the, the biggest positive for me is the, the ability to grind it out. Yeah, it would have been a different probably game. You know what I mean? I could see us kind of maybe doing some things differently in terms of subs and stuff. But yeah, see, Hamas was done. (laughs) It's no question. You know what I mean? And you could see it because when when he doesn't make a skill play, um, which I I think is what happened, preempted my uh, tweet 
you, you could tell he's like, oh, his legs are done. <laughs> so, but hey, he put in a shift. You got to give him credit. And actually what I, what I found interesting about Hamas today was I think perhaps today more so than the prior two games, he really moved all over the pitch, including oftentimes completely switching flanks and coming over to overload on the left side. In previous games, you know, he'd come into the middle a little bit. They might, him, he and, he and Richarlison might switch wings from time to time. But you saw him everywhere today. And we know from the infamous graphic from last week with uh, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison both in double-digit sprints and James with zero sprints, uh, he's not a player that needs to run all over the place to be impactful. He can kind of drift in, glide in between, find spaces. And then his ability when he has the ball at his feet to keep, retain possession and, and pick a pass is so useful when he can just go wherever he needs to be and create that synergy and link up between different players. And the bottom line is you can't defend the whole game. So in many ways, you've got to have some people that can help with transition and kind of drift into space once the ball was won. I mean, I think near the end of his day, um, he was trying to be in the back and help us spring out and possess the ball, which was greatly appreciated. It maybe didn't quite pull off. But the other thing is, too, he can receive a ball deep and ping it to someone 60 yards away on a rope. You know what I mean? I mean, to have that kind of ability, you don't need to run as much, I guess. And and that's, that is the key point. That said, I did think that as the game wore on into the later stages of the second half, it became more and more clear that, that substitutes needed to be made. And I think obviously it worked out because we got the win, but Carlo in the Premier League, the last three matches has waited late to make a lot of subs and, it hasn't come back to bite him, obviously. He believes in the players, but it, it, there was a 10-minute spell when Palace had a lot of possession and they didn't create much, but you still felt like, okay, we need some fresh legs in midfield that can really continue to apply the same level of pressure that we've been able to put on them for the you know game up to that point. Why do you guys think he's he's waiting? Well, I mean, he, I, I think... so. so- when you're talking about a substitution, right, you're weighing two things. In my mind, it's pretty simple. You're weighing... How tired is the player on the pitch and how much is his ability going to diminish because of it? And then you're weighing how much impact can this player have off the bench with, you know, legs essentially, right? And in my opinion, if we're starting to see a trend and he's leaving subs later and later, and and I don't think it's crazy to say that we might not have the best depth, I think it might show like how he feels about the starting quality players compared to some of the players coming off the bench. And I'm not saying that maybe they're not up to it or good enough. Maybe he feels like they just don't necessarily fit the role that he's substituting them for perfectly. But I I think that could be a big part of it. And I think that's exemplified with the first substitution, which is Andre for Gilfie. And we've talked so much about, we're talking about legs right now, Gilfie Sigurdsson, not one, his, his work rate is usually very good, but I think maybe in, in the last several months, last year or so, people have started to maybe question his, his, he's certainly not the most agile person, but his work rate is there. But, but the way that Andre retains possession, Gilfie t- typically doesn't do that very well. So I think when you can't make direct light for like substitutions, it does add that extra layer of, of analysis that you have to do where what's the trade off that we're getting here. And, Gilfie has a super sub coming on in the 76th. I thought he did all right, all things considered. He's just a step slow. I mean, that's the thing. I, I do wonder, since we've been in you know winning positions, uh, you know, on all, I think every sub, I, I do wonder if it is just a function of the people available. It seems like we have plenty of attacking options. I don't think he would have hesitated to make a sub if we were down. But um, if you've got, yep, I'm going to say it, Fabian Delph uh, or JPG, if, when Bameen gets healthy, 
Yeah, I think you maybe see an earlier sub for for maybe Andre. You know what I mean? Because I think those guys are better equipped to play in that type of way. And, you know, Allen and DeCorey can kind of play a little bit higher and have like Bameen in there or Delph kind of filling in the middle because he's good with possession too. But he, he's a lot more defensively responsible. I think that's what's the function of. I mean, even a, a healthy Gilfy, a fresh Gilfy, and he put in a shit. I mean, he was running. It's just not that fleet of foot. You know, he wasn't that great at getting in passing lanes. Um, just due to lack of agility, I think his, his positional awareness is okay and, and Andre's is not. So that was probably part of it. And then on the flip side, to be honest, Awobi came on in the 86th minute for Rodriguez, which positionally he did play kind of the same role that Rodriguez plays in the current system, um, but in the cup match, right? Kind of played on the right-hand side, tucked in quite a bit. Alex Awobi couldn't seem to make a pass to save his life. I think he completed three passes in the five minutes that he was on, but that's like a 33% pass accuracy completion rate. I don't know. What was his problem? What do you think, Ryan? Uh, it's just, you know, hadn't been in the game, a little bit wet, bad first touch a couple times. I mean, I mean again, I, I know what the guy's capable of. I, I don't think he's your perfect sub in that instance. Um, I'm sure ideally he was in there to try and hold the ball up, but yeah, I, I, I just don't, I don't think he's necessarily the guy to put in if, if that's what you, you want to do, but we'll see. I mean, I, I'm still confident that he can hold the ball up a little bit uh, more so than, I mean, we don't really have too many other people that can do it in advanced positions and maybe things will be a little bit different. Um, you know, I think he just had a bad 10, 15 minutes. That's all. I mean, I don't think much of it, but I'm, I know the second he makes one bad touch, there's a bunch <laughs> of boo birds out there in social media that will hammer him. I mean, cut the guy a break one touch. Jeez, my God, relax. And it'd be one thing if he looked like garbage midweek, he was fantastic. Um, I may have even opted for Bernard, frankly, uh, in that instance, because we've seen how how good he is kind of at going back and disrupting play when he wants to, and maybe even played him a little bit deeper and tried to try to possess it more. But, you know, okay, I understand the logic. He, he just didn't didn't have a good feature. No question. Let's pivot here and talk about a couple of players we have hardly mentioned so far, and that's our two center halves, Michael Keane and Yeri Mina. I saw a lot of buzz on Twitter, on on social media about Mina looking unreliable, a little bit dodgy, but I actually thought he was pretty good today, especially in the air. He led our team by far with eight aerials, one second only, or I guess second behind him was Calvert-Lewin with four. So pretty commanding performance at the back for our big Colombian. He was awesome in the air, man. He was awesome and always reliable on the ground. I, I don't understand the fascinating why people are nervous when he has the ball. Um, he's quite good with it. <laughs> Although, I mean, so I, I don't know what to say when he was on the ground trying to crawl over and head. I, I don't know what was going on there. That was one of the strangest plays I've ever seen. Well, you know, interesting that you say on the ground and, and kind of circling back to the conversation about how the ball is starting on the right-hand side with Ducore, Seamus Coleman, Hamas Rodriguez, and then we're seeing us attack up the left-hand flank. If you look at Michael Keane and Yeri Mina and their passing stats, Michael Keane had eight accurate long balls to Yeri Mina's three. So that kind of illustrates too, and, and we've talked about how maybe Michael Keane is not the best with the ball at his feet, but he, he, he attempted 12, had eight accurate long balls. And I think that illustrates how he was constantly getting possession and knocking it over to the right hand side to Decore, Seamus Coleman, Harris, Rodriguez, et cetera. So that also kind of lends itself to illustrate how we've been playing specifically against Crystal Palace. It was also a little different. It was weird. Yeri was in essence the focal point in the air. Um, last match they played together, it was, it was mostly Michael Keane. I mean, they were all over Mina last match and it freed up Keane to win a lot more headers. So, you know, it takes, takes a village sometimes. Uh, they're not the best pairing. I don't think necessarily. Uh, they're very dangerous on free kicks, obviously. 
which is ironic considering that's <laughs> the goal that Palace scored. But hey, man, they hung in there and did a job. I mean, it was a sloppy game. It was an ugly game. And, and you know, Yeri did all right. I mean, again, the whole right side did pretty well containing Zaha, I thought. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, Ryan. And, and I'll let you touch on the stats. But of course, everyone knows Crystal Palace, Wilfred Zaha. They are synonymous. He is their danger man. He is their talisman. He does... Usually, he the way Wilfred Zaha goes, the way Crystal Palace goes, and we did an excellent job of keeping him out of the match today from Matt Cheatham. The only time Zaha's failed to dribble around a single opponent in a Premier League game at home in the last four seasons. So that is quite a defensive job done, and you saw a lot of double teams anytime he had the ball at his feet because he is so dangerous in that in that situation, and we just completely took him out of the game for the most part. So there were about the same amount of touches Zaha had today as he had against Manchester United last week. Um, slightly different <laughs> results, though. Uh, no dribbles. No key passes today. Two shots, neither of which were on target. Manchester United, he had four shots, two on target. Four key passes. You know what I mean? Even one, two aerials, which is crazy. So that shows you the type of impact he can have, even, even against Southampton in the first week. You know, Shot on target. Goal. You know what I mean? Like he was still more dangerous. So he ripped up Man U and clearly Seamus Coleman did a heck of a job on him. And again, he had help at times. Corey was there a bit. Year was there to cover him. But Seamus Coleman too, I, I've been critical of him recently in the fact that he's not been able to defend and attack. You know, he hasn't been going back and forth, but man, today he blanketed Zaha at the end of the game too. I love when he gets physical. I mean, he had the ball. He hammered a couple guys, knocked him over. He he showed a lot of composure at the end of the Tottenham match, too, when we really needed to keep the ball. Um, Seamus seems like he's really stepping up into the captain's role. Um, I, I thought he was outstanding today. Uh, he obviously got the assist going forward, but his defensive work was just absolutely superb. Well, I think that sets us up nicely to move into our man of the match shouts, gentlemen, if you would. Uh, I guess we'll I think we might know who Ryan's leaning towards after that last comment. So let's throw it to Ryan first. Well, the other consideration is my boy Decore, but, you know, I love him anyway. I, I just thought he was all over the pitch. I would love to see the numbers in terms of total ground he covered. But look, you know, I, James was dangerous at times. Uh, Dom maybe missed a couple chances, but created a bunch. Richarlison was dangerous. But nah, Seamus Coleman is my man of the match. Um, he got the assist. He was productive offensively. It kind of reminds me of last week, how the defensive contributions midweek kind of put you guys over the top by awarding Bernard. You know, Seamus's most of his contributions today were in defense, but he was also dangerous in attack. He's my man of the match. That's a good shout. And and you know what? I'm going with Ducore, your man Ducore on this one. Whoa. Because honestly, and this is this is probably from a thought process of just marked improvement week over week, right? He got so much more involved today being the most involved of our three yeah. midfielders. Now, obviously, that could be, you know, a, a reason f- that that might be how our setup is is in place. Right. But nonetheless, I thought he did a good job. He was all up and down the pitch. I really like how he drives us forward sometimes, but also his pace on recovery and his positioning to make a couple interceptions is also superb. I think he's everything that we've been promised. He's only going to get better. And so I really appreciated his performance. James, what about you? I'm going to go with the man I share a name with, Hamas, just because of the overall impact he had on the offensive end. We talk about how effortless he makes things look at times. I did want to shout out the one moment early on in the first half when he was surrounded by, I think, three Palace players, 
and he receives the ball out of the air, touches it over his head, and somehow escapes all three and is able to pick a pass. I think that exemplifies what he brings to this team. We'll we'll continue to rave about him all season, I hope. But today, three key passes, three successful take-ons out of four attempted. Lost the ball four times, but that's inevitable when you're on the ball as much as he is. I thought he was excellent again today, and he gets my man of the match out. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue. I mean, you know, he... He is the engine that makes the offense. He's the danger man. You know what I mean? And and today in a game where we did create some good chances, but maybe you know didn't have the ball as much as we would have liked. It wasn't consistent chances. He, I mean, the quality shown through again for him. I didn't like the free kick though. That was not. I mean, mm. yeah, it would have been on net, but yeah. I would rather he just taken the shot instead of getting fouled. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that too. And Gilfie had another one too at the end of the game. I'm like, shoot the ball, man. Come on. Um, it was a tough spot though. Yeah, I would have liked to see a little more quality in that. But man, is he uh, glad we got that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think he's just his presence alone and has, has led to obviously the uptick in performances. And we're starting to get dare I say, a fair amount of credit from pundits, particularly on NBC. We're now getting regular shouts of people saying we can compete for top six and even top four, which I think with the way Manchester United have looked the last couple of weeks out of the gate, uh, I know, Ryan, you've said previously that they're probably one of your top contenders for top four. Chelsea, maybe a little bit take time to, to settle in all the new players. If we can continue on this fantastic run of form, and we do have a, a favorable schedule, I suppose, for the next several for several weeks. If we can take full advantage of that, keep confidence high. I don't see any reason why we can't be well poised going into the the at least the winter break, winter fixtures to really push the rest of these teams the entire the entire duration of the season. And so it's a great time to be a toffee. I'm extremely happy, undefeated, can't beat it. And with that, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Please join us midweek as we recap the Carabao Cup match against West Ham and look ahead to the match next weekend. As always, leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next time and up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.